0: Hello, and welcome to Campus Voices, where we dive into the University of Kentucky and Lexington communities. I'm your host, Sarah Simon-Patches, and today we will be discussing the topic of new technology due to COVID-19. As the pandemic has caused nationwide shutdown, there has been an application that has skyrocketed throughout the chaos, the cloud-based platform, Zoom. NASDAQ reported that the technology has seen a 248% stock increase since the pandemic began. Tech Times stated that there have been a number of potential Zoom hacks as well. We will be taking a look at a couple of technologies that have come to the forefront since the rise of COVID-19 and what changes they have made to the community. Today, we are going to hear from Brent Harrison, an assistant professor from the College of Engineering and Computer Science, and Ryan Mason, a health and wellness program exercise specialist from the Department of Kinesiology and Health Promotion. Both guests come from our very own campus, and thank you both for being with us today. Our first question, we'll start with Brent, but both of you can feel free um, to chime in. Uh, why did the demand for Zoom increase as intensely as it did?
1: Well, um, I, so my, my intuition there is that it was a relatively well-known, if not like maybe niche bit of technology, and the rather sudden nature of the pandemic meant, okay, we have to, um, well, we have to quickly come up with a solution that, that works. And so Zoom, which was, again, like I said, a decently well-known teleconferencing software is where a lot of people went. Uh, It's not the only place that people went. I have heard of other professors trying other options, uh, including Skype um, or other kind of streaming services such as Twitch, but Zoom represented a, a uh, a safe option. And so I think that's kind of why people went to it initially.
0: What would you say makes it safer than the other?
1: Um, well, and by safe, I don't necessarily mean security. I, I really have to throw that out there. Um, it's just safe in that it's, uh, it was familiar. Um, And it had, at least initially, like it checked all the boxes that you would want in a, in a teleconferencing software for, you know, like a class. Um, It could support a large number of people. Um, It seemed relatively stable. Uh, You could like, it supported voice in a reasonable way. It seemed pretty perfect.
0: Thank you. And... Ryan, or both of you, um, will your need for Zoom decrease if researchers are to develop a cure for the virus, if this all goes away? What role does Zoom play in the Um, day-to-day?
2: Personally, I don't think we'll ever see Zoom or the teleconferencing kind of um, face that we have now go away completely. I think um, there's been such a change and it's had to happen so fast. Uh, But I believe a lot of people have realized that some of these changes uh, are better more convenient for us. So um, that goes with the technology as far as like uh, Zoom and also like our workspaces. So many people see now that there's a benefit to working from home or, um, you know, different companies not needing as much um, office space and that sort of thing. So there are a lot of changes that have happened, particularly in technology that I don't think will ever go back to the way we were.
1: I agree. I agree. Um, in fact, I think, so let's say uh, there have been a lot of news reports recently about the success of the vaccines during trial. And so, are yeah, in, in trial phases. So even if those, those work out, which, boy, I hope they do, um, okay. I think we're going to run into some really interesting additional problems because people have gotten, like, they're so attached. Well, some people are so attached to this kind of working remotely because there are definitely others that, want to be in the classroom. And so then the question becomes, how do you accommodate all of these people? Um, And that's something that like, I don't know, I feel like we were faced with that challenge early when we uh, attempted to reopen with like hybrid classes and we still don't have necessarily a great solution to it. And so it's only going to become more important to address that as um, more and more people want to return to um, in-class settings, whereas some people want to hold out and still teach remotely.
0: You kind of mentioned that Zoom has been around before this, but it has picked up obviously as people are working from home. What kind of situations had you all encountered before the pandemic where you would have engaged with Zoom or some other kind of video technology?
1: So for me, it was primarily to communicate, like if I had collaborators at another university or at another company um, in a different state, uh, it was just a way to have meetings with them. So it was, like I said, a very niche technology. Um, And that's really, at least for me, the only place that I saw it in my own experience.
2: Yeah, I actually hadn't used Zoom for any type of research, um, but I have used it several times prior to COVID just for uh, small meetings with my department. My my office is about a mile and a half away from the rest of my department. And so a couple of times if uh, I didn't want to, you know, walk into campus, I would just jump on Zoom and uh, catch the, you know, high notes of the meeting from there. Mm-hmm.
0: We briefly touched on it, uh, like the remote work attachment and how people are kind of getting used to working from home. Do you think that technology like this increases people's motivation to work? Or do you think that it's kind of on the contrary, where now people are becoming less motivated to do work now that they're in a home environment?
2: So I think um, a lot of what you're seeing uh, is burnout, right? So initially, this was great, everything, everything was really exciting. It was kind of new, it's like, oh, there's this new technology, there's Zoom, like all of these meetings are on Zoom, everyone's waving at each other, like, this is really cool. Um, and now it's like, oh, another Zoom meeting. Um, so there's just really, we've gotten overwhelmed with everything that's going on and burnout and uh, just kind of fatigue from the same Zoom meetings over and over, I think has really caught up with people.
1: Yeah, and at least, so from my experience, I, I went through almost the exact same thing, but one thing that I found was really difficult to deal with was it, it feels a lot easier and more low impact to schedule Zoom meetings. like, And so that means that at least it feels like my day is completely full of Zoom meetings because it's just so easy for me to say, okay, well, yeah, here's something, here's a link, go to it, now we can we can talk. Um, And so for my own like personal balancing of you know, what I have to do during the day, it's thrown everything completely off. It's been really, really difficult. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: hmm. So the University of Kentucky has depended heavily on the cloud based platform for a majority of their classes connecting students teacher and faculty from a distance. They are offering online in person and hybrid classes. For those not attending in-person classes, Zoom is the main platform of learning for students. WRFL reporter Alex Malachowski reports on the technology and its impact.
3: Zoom has skyrocketed in stock price since the pandemic has struck. According to the market summary of Zoom Communications Incorporated, before the COVID-19 pandemic, Zoom had started the 2020 year with trading at less than $69 per share. As of mid-October, Zoom has closed at just yet over $239 per share. This was a 248% jump from the beginning of the year. The mark capitalization now stands at more than $67 billion. Zoom stock has surpassed many and continues to flourish. As schools and businesses alike had to move their meetings to a virtual setting, the demand for Zoom skyrocketed. Their technology is accessed by millions to help stay connected, especially by students here at the University of Kentucky. They are adapting to using the platform for their classes and meetings on an everyday basis. First year student Grant Meyer says that adapting to Zoom has been easier than expected. Uh, Honestly, in the beginning of Zoom, I was nervous and stressed out about how we were going to navigate all these classes and communicate with these teachers as good as possible, but the teachers are really making it really super easy to navigate and there's no need to make logins for any Zoom classes. They can send you the link through your email and you can immediately hop in that class right away. So I think it's... It's really helping everybody else and me, including. Zoom has stood out amongst other competitors amidst the pandemic. However, there seems to be instability in some of their security systems, especially encountering issues with users' Zoom bombing, which had caused some schools in the U.S. to actually ban the app from their students. Many events at the university have been moved to a virtual platform, including this year's fall fraternity and sorority rush. Fraternities and sororities had to connect with incoming rushes via Zoom. Sophomore student Dylan Ritzy shares his experience when he had countered a Zoom bombing. I was in a breakout room with two other rushes and their fraternity rush chair when all of a sudden some guy in a black hoodie with a funny name hopped into our call and he just started laughing and giggling and then left suddenly and I was confused to say the least. Zoom continues to be on the forefront of cloud-based technology as they've connected millions, engaging a setting for classrooms, offices, and much more. Reporting for WRFL, I'm Alex Malahowski.
0: Again, kind of going back to the work environment uh, topic, how have the being kind of forced to adapt to using new types of technology, how do you think that's affected your own work environment, but also the environment for other people and, and having to maybe for those people that aren't used to Zoom or this kind of online technology, what kind of challenges do you think that that has presented for people?
1: Oh boy, there have been so many. And I'll I'll, I'll try to mention a few, there there are different types. So for one, working at home has social challenges that I think people weren't necessarily ready to deal with. Um, I know I wasn't necessarily ready to deal with them. So uh, (laughs) my wife, for example, works from home. So suddenly, oh, we're spending pretty much every waking hour of every day uh, together. And so it it didn't take too long uh, before the cabin fever set in (laughs) And, and like, oh, it's like, hey, we have to talk about boundaries here. Um, It's the same kind of thing with um, not being able to draw a boundary between when you're working and when you're not working. It blurred. And so it was very easy for people to just keep working, keep working, keep working. Um, As far as technology goes, um, suddenly you have people that um, might not be used to things like Audio quality, or how to get various AV things to you know work together, being forced to do that, um, and so um, in computer science we have a fun joke, which is um, well maybe it's fun I don't know, uh, but it's you can never have any meeting at all without some kind of uh, AV thing going wrong, and well now everyone gets to deal with that, and it feels like it's multiplied a hundredfold. Uh. So true.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I would say um, for me personally, it it was a lot of similar problems to uh, what Dr. Harris was saying there. I know um, I also my wife works from home too, for the most part, and then we have kids who are out of daycare. So I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. So then all of a sudden, uh, I'm supposed to be teaching a one-year-old or taking care of a one-year-old, teaching a four-year-old, working my job, and also like making sure everything else is going on properly in the house. Uh, and so it, it became like a lot of trade-off. It's like, okay, I have a meeting from one to two. Uh, I have a break from two to three. So I'll watch the kids from two to three. You can take, take, uh, that time to work and then, uh, I'll be back on. So it's like all day long. It's just like one thing, another thing, another thing, and whether it's work or whether it's childcare or whether it's, um, just making food, um, there's, there was always something going on initially. Now, luckily uh, that slowed down a little bit whenever my children were able to go back to daycare. But I know initially that was one of the biggest problems is just, where do you find the time in the day to get everything done? Because now there's so much extra stuff that uh, is kind of on my plate. But then uh, another thing is early on, my job was not set up to do remotely, right? I'm an exercise physiologist. I work with people in the gym if you take the gym away from that, then what do I do? Right. I can just kind of tell people what to do over the phone or over zoom um, and try to make up like, you know, the best, the best alternatives that I can for people who don't have any equipment or anything like that. So early on, uh, we didn't really have a lot established um, to make my job work smoothly. Now uh, after doing this for what seven, eight months that we've been doing it I have a lot of, um, a lot of the things put forward that I need to uh, make sure that I can connect with people and I can um, establish workouts for people and that sort of thing. Uh, And we also have opened the gym again on a limited basis. So I am partially back on campus and partially from home, but yeah, there were definitely some, some things to overcome early on.
0: Kind of following that train of thought where you're now teaching people exercise through zoom if we are to go back into a shutdown that we saw more at the beginning of the pandemic where gyms aren't open, what have you done to kind of navigate those kinds of challenges where you aren't able to be with people in, in person?
2: Yeah, so um, that that does get a little bit into, uh, it's, it's challenging, especially if you have specific goals. Um, so I'll use myself an exa- as an example. Um so I'm an exercise physiologist but my my specialty and kind of my area of interest is strength training right and specifically like heavy resistance training it's impossible to do that without equipment right you cannot you can't lift um really high amounts of weight without the weights so um for like whenever I, this first started I was like okay for the time being, I'm going to kind of change my goals. Uh, maybe I'll work on some more endurance, that sort of thing, uh, or just like body weight exercises. Uh, and that didn't last very long for me um, because it's, I didn't really have kind of my heart in the goal. My goal has always been to get be stronger for um, at least the last five, last five years or so. So you do have to kind of determine what's realistic and what you can do from home, uh, and then kind of set up new goals. So I will say it's a struggle. Um, but you can also use some of the newer tech, some of the technologies like our Fitbits and that sort of thing. Um, any kind of triaxial accelerometer to measure objective data, because from previous research, um, and other, my research personally and other research that's out there, we kind of have a, inflated sense of physical activity whenever we actually go do something. So if you if you ask a group of people, most people will say they're more active on the weekend, right? They'll say, oh, I definitely get more steps on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, and not to really fault them, but what they're doing is they're thinking, you know, I went for a hike on Saturday, I did this. Uh, these are like the activities that I participated in. But all of the other time of the day, they're kind of just sitting at home, either watching football or not doing anything. And what they don't take into account is Monday through Friday, especially working at on campus at UK. Uh, before COVID, we were walking around all over the place, right? So, like I said, my my. Uh, main department was over a mile from my office so every time I had a meeting which would be multiple times a week I walked a mile there and a mile back and I didn't I would never count that as like oh this is my activity that I'm doing that's just part of my day and so we we have that problem where people during COVID are saying well I'm taking a walk every day or I'm doing this activity but what are they doing in between those activities? And it's pretty much nothing. So Uh, hopefully I didn't talk too much in a circle there.
0: (laughs) Actually, what you're mentioning about Fitbit, we're going to get into um, a little bit further now uh, that you've mentioned it. So uh, with scientists searching for advances in finding a cure for COVID-19, WRFL reporter Alex Malachowski describes what companies such as Fitbit have done in their efforts to help researchers gain access the discovering COVID days before symptoms appear.
3: Many are searching for answers and finding a cure for the recent COVID-19 pandemic, but since launching their study to discover if wearable activity trackers could detect early signs of COVID-19 infection, Fitbit and WHOOP have been working towards monitoring symptoms of COVID-19 almost three days before they are reported. Fitbit announced that they had launched a study that has been working towards developing an algorithm that can highlight potential cases. Their studies show that they have been able to detect nearly half of COVID-19 cases of their selected study participants at least one day before they had reported symptoms. Results in their research show that the temperature screening alone may not be the most effective in understanding the infected individuals. WHOOP has also been on the rise since they have been using their wearable technology to track COVID-19 as well. They have been using the wearable and the patient's respiratory rate to track these rates. According to WHOOP, over the past few months, members have shared their diagnosis of COVID-19 and suspected cases that have resulted in negative results. Using the data, WHOOP has been able to derive an algorithm capable of identifying 80% of COVID-19 cases of members simply from the changes in respiratory rate in the member's baseline. Junior student Jack Sky shares his experience with WHOOP technologies.
2: So during quarantine, I picked up running as a hobby and like I wanted to track how my recovery and see how my body was adapting. And I was thankful to see that my
1: baseline had no irregularities when I wore it.
3: Many continue to work tirelessly to help aid any effort in discovering a cure for the virus. Fitbit and WHOOP have contributed their studies and are still researching for how they can further their advancements. For WRFL, I'm Alex Malachowski.
0: And so you touched on um, the technology that is being used now um, in terms of fitness. So have you used that personally? and, And how has that technology been utilized in your area of study?
2: Yeah. So uh, personally, I I have used Fitbit. Uh, I currently use Apple Watch, but it's the same it's the same type of technology, um, just a physical activity tracker, basically an accelerometer counting how many steps per day that you get. Uh, so in my research, uh, I use Fitbit, but not. I don't apply fitbit to people right so most of my research that's been done on physical activity is actually um kind of retrospective studies where i'm taking data that we get from health and wellness and then looking at it after the fact so i don't initially set up the study uh, to collect data for a particular reason i just have the data and then i look for questions there um my My main area of interest for research is tactical populations research. Uh, But with the Fitbits, what it does is it gives us um, an an objective number for how much physical activity that we're getting. Because um, what we know uh, from my previous statement is people don't really have a good idea of what they're doing unless there's an objective number tied to it. Right. So we kind of have overinflated estimations of uh, what the activity that we're doing is worth. And then we tend to think that we do more whenever we're not doing anything. So uh, I think Fitbit is a great tool for people to um, be able to have that number that they can look at and actually make the call. "I, I did enough today or I need to do more
0: have either of you used technologies that are new to you that have kind of taken a rise uh, through this pandemic or are you all both kind of used to the options that we have now? I know personally I had never even heard of Zoom uh, before we had online classes, but I use it all the time now. Uh, So I was just wondering, have you all experienced anything like that?
1: Uh, Yeah, so, I I find myself using the uh the streaming service Twitch more than I than I ever have. And so like if you're not familiar with it, it's it's typically for for streaming videos, typically gaming related, but more and more you see other types of things on there as well. It could be just people talking. There are people that teach classes on it. Um, And it requires the use of very specialized software that um, I had never used before. Uh, And so very early on, I had an interesting problem because um, a lot of people teach from slides, which is really easy to stream. You can just stream your screen. I don't like slides, I like to write on a whiteboard. Um, So I had to figure out, okay, how do I do this? How do I set up a system where I can, you know, write stuff down, it'll show on the screen and I can stream that out to the world at large. Um, I spent probably more time trying to solve that problem uh, than I should have. Uh, But yeah, that was something that I had not expected to ever have to figure out because I figured the whiteboard would always be there. Oh, how wrong I was.
0: And kind of not really on the same train of thought, but in general, we've talked a little bit about the post-pandemic world and how things are going to look as far as the new technology that's come about and our new dependence on it. What do you all think are the benefits to the new technologies and also maybe the drawbacks to having these new things that we rely on um, as a society and to be able to communicate with people?
1: That's a tough one. Um, So one of the primary benefits I see is accessibility. Like that's, that's always been um, like something that maybe we've taken for granted, like what exactly a class is. Class is coming into a classroom, you sit there for 50 to 120 minutes, or wait, 50 to 90 minutes, I don't know. Um, And then you leave. Uh, but with this, we kind of get to rethink what exactly that is. So I've had plenty of students who have loved the fact that they, well, they can view things from the comfort of their own homes. And also what comes with that, a lot of classes are being recorded now, um, especially hybrid classes. Um, and so they have, like several students have commented that they like the ability to be able to go back and rewatch lectures. So like that's... Um, I want. That's one thing that, at least, if I can get away with it, I want to try to keep in the post-pandemic world some ability for students to go back um, and do this. But like I said, I think there are going to be more challenges that come with it. Um, how do we balance all of these expectations that people might have now? I have no idea.
0: Would you all have any, in your knowledge of technology and just in your experience thus far in the pandemic, do you all have any recommendations for people that are maybe new to using technology or for us students that are going to be relying heavily on this in terms of being secure in the new technologies or ways to use them more beneficially in terms of, as we mentioned, the Fitbit uh, and getting out and doing activity, and then on the side of how Zoom gets hacked or people bounce into Zoom calls randomly sometimes. What would be your thoughts on that and how to best move forward uh, personally?
1: Uh, use a password on your Zoom calls. Don't use the default password and make it longer than six numbers. I don't know. That was one of the, early, the earlier hacks that was possible. Relied on, yeah, using um, uh, the fact that Zoom really wants you to just use a six-digit al- or numeric Password, like no, don't do that. Change it. Um, but really, like that's primarily it, uh, at least from my from my perspective.
0: Ryan, would you add anything in terms of you know how I mentioned the Fitbit, and you had been talking about people believe that they're getting more exercise than they actually are. That's a pretty big concern for me personally, but I think a lot of people are trying to get more movement in as things are shutting down again. So, what would be your recommendation? Yeah,
2: so in. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Fitbit, but any type of um, any type of objective data is going to help you whenever you are uh, if you're trying to take a good look of at what you're actually doing, right? So, um, because we do know that people uh, tend to misestimate miss how much they did or how how long they were sitting. Um, it's it's a it's a good tool. So for any any type of uh, I guess training that you're doing, whether it's like uh, training at a sport, training at um, the gym, whatever you're doing, if you have realistic like real feedback, you can make good uh, adjustments from there, right? So. Like, for example, right now even this this goes to even sports skills and that sort of thing. I'm trying to get better at golf right now, right so in unless I know like what I'm doing wrong objectively, uh, I can't really make a fix to it so just like you can transfer that straight to your physical activity unless you know how much activity you're getting, there's no way to say that you're getting enough or too too much so having some measurable uh, some measurable uh, physical activity measuring device is going to be beneficial for you.
0: Well, thank you both for joining us. I really appreciated this conversation. I've learned a lot um, and thank you to our listeners for joining in. Uh, come back next Wednesday for another episode of Campus Voices. I'm Sarah Simon-Patches and you're listening to WRFL 88.1.